Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to this, the latest HR on the Offensive podcast. Uh, my name is Chris Howard. Today's podcast is a special one because we've been doing a couple of the HR Guild in the Spotlight uh, series of late, which has been really great listening to some of the members of the Guild talk about some of the exciting topics that they've been on. But today is a special podcast because we wanted to talk about the return of people to the office or lack of, I guess, is, is where we're at at the moment because... <laughs> We have a dog that's joining us. Hey, this is good fun. Let's introduce Carissa. Hello, Carissa, and her dog. Carissa, firstly, what's your dog's name? My dog's name is Cooper, (laughs) and he's only 10 months old, so he's very excitable, and he has a very loud bark. (laughs) Carissa, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us, and thanks for bringing Cooper. Thank you for allowing Cooper to join us. (laughs) So, as I was saying, we are going to have a bit of a chat about this weird world that we're living in because two weeks ago we were all going to be returning to the office and we sit here now having just been told actually second waves on the horizon and you're probably all not going to be going back into the office but before we get into that of course it would be remiss of me not to introduce my uh, co-conspirator in crime and partner on this podcast Aaron Albury. Aaron how are you doing sir? I'm very well very well Chris I am longing for a dog now. Well, my wife wants us to get us a cat, as you know, and I'm fighting it. So I would love dogs. And I think Cooper would also agree with that. Dogs, certainly. Cats, no. But anyway, let's get talking to the uh, the topic at hand, which is to, I guess, build or let's, let's, uh, let's build the road between when we last spoke to you, Carissa, which was just as we hit into lockdown and everyone was having to find this new way of working and people working from home to where we're at at the moment. So do you want to just give us a bit of a flavor as to, from your perspective, you know, anything that you've seen that's changed since we last spoke, apart from the fact that you've got a dog and he, he likes podcasts and what you've seen in terms of your client base as well. Yeah, I mean, well, so much is changing, right? So the, and we've all had so many emotions individually and corporately, you know, so many different surveys are going on in every employer and, and the, the data is changing week to week. But if I reflect back to the conversation we had before, my biggest observation about what was happening with corporates at the time was, you know, everybody was really amazed and impressed with how well their business had adapted to working in an alternative way, you know, nobody going into the office, everybody working from home. And I think everybody was really pleasantly surprised that this thing was going okay. Everybody was bringing a positive attitude and trying to make it to make it work well. And at the time, my my biggest observation was that people were kind of rushing into this idea that we don't need an office at all. I mean, pretty much every article in the FT particularly looking at financial services, was saying, why do we even have an office? Our global property portfolio is not important whatsoever. Mm. And it really hasn't been that much time. But we're starting to see a bit more of a moderating of attitudes around that, which is actually, I think we'd like to be in an office together with our teams for certain activities. And the conversation we had last time was around, make sure that your office has a real purpose and it's driving some sort of value by bringing people together. And mostly what we see happening right now is um, corporate real estate directors are coming out and saying, you know, in the in the return to work that we've had over the last couple, I don't know, six weeks or so until now, 
then come to the offices if there's a real reason to meet your colleagues, to collaborate, to share in ideas. If you need to do independent work, you're probably best doing that, you know, from home or another location. You don't need to come and commute to the office for that. And what I've seen happening, particularly with larger businesses that occupy large amounts of real estate, has been a real critical analysis of how much space they can reduce in their global property portfolios. And so, you know, financial services, professional services, law firms, media businesses, everyone has been looking at what is the right size of our real estate portfolio. And, you know, one of my clients said to me, this is kind of a CFO's dream because for ages they've been wanting to take cost out of real estate. And now they have this perfect opportunity because they've proven that people can work from an alternative way. So most of my clients are still firefighting in terms of how do we how do we get people back safely into an office? How do we help them work productively from wherever they are? And and how do we exit as much redundant real estate that we have? And so they're trying to make that analysis. It's fascinating. So I think so much has changed, Chris, in just the short time since <laughs> we last spoke. It's amazing. And as you say, we were talking about going back and what that might look like, the phased go return hybrid working collaboration space. I, I find it fascinating at the moment just reading the press around the exit from some of the big cities, some of the corporate real estate in the big cities right now, uh, the implications that's having on, on two things, I guess. One, the infrastructure that sits around corporate real estate. Corporate real estate isn't just offices, it's, it's all the shops and buildings and services that lives, lives around that. But also, it seems to be as much as you hear it on one hand that that is doom and gloom for the for the economy. On the other hand, you read how that is ex- accelerating the regrowth in regional cities in local environments where people aren't commuting as far but still want a, lab- a, a collaboration space, and then even to the point where that might reinvigorate some of the high streets mm-hmm. uh, in some of the areas. So, it's, it's really interesting to see where you see that how that's happening because in either I suppose in either circumstance, whether we go back partially or or we don't go back, there's still a reduction in the number of spaces being used and the floor space being used. Well. <laughs> I guess there's a reduction in the current concentration and where where those things are. I think it's more of a redistribution. Even in a world where where organizations are saying we're not going to have a headquarters and nobody has officially kind of made that statement and moved out completely, but in that world you still as an organization as an employer need to provide some workspace for your people. And I think I think there's a, a kind of a a bit of a red herring about the cost savings to be had from your city center locations by reducing your real estate portfolio and asking people to work from home because not everybody has the space, not everybody has the will. And so as an employer, can you ask someone to do a job, but then not give them the work environment to do that? And it doesn't mean it needs to be a city center work environment. And this is where I think there is a major opportunity for towns and villages and cities across the UK and based on the distribution of, of where people live. And maybe you don't gather with your teams in those spaces, but you could go to a workspace on the local high street, get some privacy, get some good Wi-Fi, have, have good video conferencing facilities, have printing facilities, whatever you need. You have office facilities there that you can go and use. And whether I haven't actually seen organizations buying into this fully yet, but whether they start to subsidize that and provide some sort of stipend, Mm-hmm. to allow people to work away from their home, but not in a corporate office, 
is I think one thing that we could see. And I do see that kind of redistributing the the money that used to be spent in city centers at, at your pretz or your cafes or your local dry cleaners to, to towns and villages where people are actually living. And that might reinvigorate those areas with um, local independent businesses and give more opportunities for those people locally. Do you know what's amazing? I'm going to go off on a slight tangent, but then I'll bring us oh. back. I watched a program with, I can't remember what it was. It was a BBC program a few years ago, which talked about the mass migration into mega cities. Mm-hmm. And isn't it amazing? It just takes like a pandemic for suddenly, for all of a sudden that to be a bit like, oh, is this going to stop happening then? Are we going to get more of a, a reverse of like emigration almost? I don't know. Well, I mean, you could look at house prices and you see you see where the trends are right now in the UK in terms of people trying to find um, more rural locations. I was talking to to a guy the other day who is setting up a co-working business in in rural parts of the country. So taking old barns and farms and repurposing those to become workspaces and not just for startups and freelancers, but for people that belong and work for large corporates. And, you know, his his view was they no longer will need to buy their season pass and pay for their large commuting fares. You know, maybe they would um, reallocate some of that budget to to a workspace. My challenge is organizations should be thinking about how do we provide our people workspace, whether it's in a concentrated city center or in their home or near their home or somewhere else. It's really interesting. We, we brought our team together just recently for the first time since the pandemic uh, lockdown. Um, socially distanced and, and secure and all those nice things. Lots but, of alcohol um, gel as well. Lots of alcohol gel, exactly. But I think one of the things that really struck me was the ability in the collaboration space, even a small group of people, to do cross-talk, to have that level of multiple conversations ongoing, cross-fertilization of ideas. And no matter how much you try with all the tool sets that are great out there and teams and Facebook at work and all those nice things, it's almost impossible to re- replicate that kind of environment for idea generation. Yeah, definitely. I do think, um, you know, one of the things I've observed prior to the pandemic, you know, for the last 10 years, I've been working with corporates on how do they introduce more flexible working within their workspace so that they can optimize their real estate footprint and use it more efficiently. And then more as um, things like burnout and work-life balance became real big agenda topics. I've been working with organizations to introduce agile working in a more structured way and that people can not work within the office and have permission to do that. And, you know, there, there was some good buy-in from HR on that prior to the pandemic. There was some definite desire from the real estate directors because they wanted to repurpose the other space and the desks into more interesting collaborative spaces Definitely CFOs were interested because there was a cost savings. Employees were interested. They wanted they wanted a bit more flexibility. They wanted some autonomy. There was what I found, though, in some of the business leadership, some serious reticence and resistance to really la- allowing their teams to go and work from another location, whether it was a distrust, whether it was a learning and development. You know, not all of it was was negative. And, you know, do, do they require to be blamed for that? Is that's not really the the point I'm making, but there was a there was a reticence there. And then when the pandemic hit, and those people are the ones I've talked to now, and they're so surprised and they're so happy that they have this test case and this evidence now that you can do it. And I think that's great. But as as I said, you know, attitudes are starting to moderate, and I think we're starting to really miss some of the more nuanced conversations that we can have in an office. You know, as business leaders are thinking about their attrition and the percentage of the workforce that turns over every single year, 
if everybody worked from home on a more permanent basis, you know, at a 20% attrition, you're not that far away from turning over your entire workforce without ever connecting in a physical environment, without ever becoming part of that organization and and really feeling the culture and, and, and making friends and also making, you know, really great professional relationships. So I think, I think that there's a bit more of an understanding that there is, there's going to be a balance. Do you know what? That's kind of touching on something I was just thinking about as you were saying that, Carissa, which is culture. So even today, I was, um, I'd have met, I messaged um, one of my colleagues at Lace because we hadn't spoken in ages. But when we were in the office, we spoke almost every day because I enjoyed being in the office. I enjoyed that camaraderie. And I messaged her and said, I haven't actually spoken to you in ages. Not because I don't want to speak to you. It's just because you get your head down and you're working. And... And she said, I know exactly the same thing. And I started to think about the culture and the potential, I don't know if I want to say damage, but the challenges that businesses are going to face if you can't get people together that don't all work in the same team. Because I actually have found that I've been able to come up with ideas, bounce ideas off of people that I don't work directly with. And they've been able to support me and help me from a a marketing perspective, which is the role that I do. Even though they don't, I, I rarely have any direct working sort of uh, relationship with them. But so, so from that perspective, what's the question I'm asking? I guess it's how much do you think culture is potentially going to be challenged in this new environment if you've got everybody sat at home working from home on a more longer term basis? It's an interesting one, Chris. I'm going to answer that for a quick second. So I don't, I don't think you're wrong in your choice of words. I think damaging culture is one of the challenges that, that, that certainly is going to come from this. I think there's two things to that. One, as you say, there's that natural serendipity of, of collaboration that you know Carissa and, and people like her have been designing into offices for us the last uh, X number of years and really pushing that agenda to make sure there's that sort of cross-pollination stuff that is, that is now challenged. There's lots of examples of people who have started new organizations during the lockdown, during pandemic, and never met their colleagues yet. Mm-hmm. You, you, you've got to ask yourself, you know, what's... What is their potential long-term loyalty to the business when they haven't actually been part of, as Chris was saying, that friendships, those connections, that way of working? And I think the second thing is they're experiencing culture and a lot of us are experiencing culture now through a remote device. You know, what we see is the way that business operates through Teams or through Facebook at work or whatever, not through how it operates when people are together and 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 in in a space physically with each other. And I think therefore you've got you've got a as part of this planning around your office location and this hybrid environment, you've got to put in time, not just so you've got meeting space, but you've got collaboration and cultural alignment space and time built into whatever you create. create. One of the things I was working on a lot before, before we kind of fell into this pandemic was, you know, organizations are targeting creativity, innovation. They want to encourage this amongst their staff. And just like you talk, Chris, like just more conversations between people who don't have a natural kind of um, work content relationship, but you can mm. build so many great ideas together. And, you know, one of the designs around offices was how do you design for downtime? And how do you design not just to have a laugh, but to encourage people to to let a little bit of their guard down and bring themselves to work? I think that the pandemic from a we are more human perspective has really I think that has really changed the way we um, the way we present ourselves on these calls. I saw I saw a great example on LinkedIn yesterday where a woman took her formerly, you know, very professional photograph and she then put a picture of herself with wet hair and a jumper 
you know, a totally different top. And she said, you know, this is me and I feel really comfortable being me. And I think there's something really nice that the pandemic has done for that and people feeling more comfortable in their own skin and sharing kind of a lot more of ourselves. And that's good for some and and, and not good for others, as we know. But so I do think that there there is a big challenge, though, to culture. And how do you how do you design offices? But then how do we structure work and our ways of working to make that effective? You know, somebody else I was talking to, they are they are historically five days a week in the office, not a work from home kind of person ever. And at the moment, they're doing three days a week from the office or they were last week when I talked to them before the revised guidance came out. <laughs> three days a week from the office and two days a week from home. And they said that it's actually unbearable in the office right now because they're so busy, so back to back. And the people that are in there want to banter and have a chat and all of that. And, and he just, he can't take it. He's like, I, I need to get stuff done. And so he's super pacey. He doesn't have the time or the patience. So that relationship is kind of, is not being built, even though they're in the same physical proximity and they could be sharing those things because now it's like, I need to maximize every minute that I'm physically in London because I need to go see my clients, I need to access these facilities, I need to produce this work, or we need to have that meeting. And I, I'm a little bit worried. I'm, I don't know. I'm worried that we're going to become too rigid about how we structure our days. And we're going to take away some of that choice and autonomy that we've been working really hard to give people. Because if now we have to design, everyone in our team is going to come together on Wednesday. And we want to be able to connect if we're trying to force those moments to connect when we're all together on the Wednesday that we've now engineered our weeks around are, is it going to be as productive and valuable as it was when you just happened to sit at the side of your desk on a Friday and having a chat and came up with a really interesting idea? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's that, that point you're making about the lady and her picture and you know, it's about being your genuine self. And I think you're right. There's a, there's a, there's a bit about the, uh, if you're engineering a meeting and you're making sure you got to be there on time, you're not really being that genuine in the way in which it engages. Certainly not the way Chris was talking about engaging with his his colleagues, you know, and, and getting that connection. I, it's 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 a really interesting period of time, I think, for adjustment for organisations around this. But I think certainly talking to our clients, bringing us back around to sort of office space, I think what I'm seeing the same thing is that there is. A not a rush to close offices, but an acceptance that the real estate will shrink, and that alternative space will need to be found. Mm-hmm. And and clearly, you know, the biggest impact will be in the big cities for that. But I think in addition to that, and I was reading a, lot, a great article about it yesterday. I, I think the perspective on the architecture of the new is going to fundamentally change as well. Mm-hmm. You know, because what you do want to have when you arrive is not a big open plan office in the way you used to have. Even for just navigating around it, you may want a different layout and different way. You want spaces which you collaborate, but collaborate at social distance and safely. You want different spaces. So I don't know if you're seeing anything from that perspective yet. Chris has started to emerge. I've seen a lot of kind of um, how do I how do I fix my existing space to allow for greater social distancing to repurpose some of the spaces for collaboration. I haven't seen any mind-blowing ideas on what a new internal environment looks like. One of the things that I think is most exciting though for I don't I don't want to be I don't want to be inappropriate for what we're going through because this is obviously a really hard time for everybody. But when it comes to real estate development, the number of businesses and real estate developers and architects that are thinking about 
the outside spaces and the community spaces and mm-hmm. how you can create more green spaces, I think is one of the most positive things to come out of this. Because in the past, while it's been important for a development, I don't think it has been a primary driver of it. And it's been you know, more around we need to create community spaces because that meets our planning obligations. But the primary thing is to build this very big office. And I think the the opportunity to start to focus on everything around the building and what type of environments creating, not just for the occupiers of that building, but the local residents is a really interesting opportunity. So I've seen some great examples of um, repurposing spaces and turning them into more kind of like neighborhood clubs or bringing people together in a social distance way that feels safer because it's outside. We've all seen, you know, the restaurants pouring into the streets and kind of traffic being, you know, rerouted or becoming Mm -hmm. pedestrianized. And I think that that's making our spaces much more livable for the individual. And I think, I think that's really, I think that's really impressive. When it comes to offices, I think, I think that my clients, their hope is that what their plan is right now, not to make any major changes and re-engineer their offices for social distancing other than temporary, how do we bring people back safely? But when they are thinking about the future, they are thinking much more about getting people physically closer together again, like we were before in those collaboration spaces, but really making those collaboration spaces more purposeful. The question I ask every client whenever they say we want to collaborate is what is collaboration to you? And what is collaboration to you when you're working on a proposal versus working on product development versus working on a budget? (laughs) You know, (laughs) we collaborate in so many different ways throughout our, our whole working day and with the different types of people we work with. And so really thinking about what are we missing right now? Because we're you could call this collaborating. I mean, Microsoft mm-hmm. would probably say this is collaboration software, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And so so we we are technically collaborating. But if we were physically sitting together, what would we be doing? You know, what would we be using? We wouldn't be using a whiteboard because it's a podcast. Would we be showing more body language to one another because we could see that? Would we be standing? You know, and so thinking Why? about the interaction, would we have any drinks? Maybe, <laughs> but thinking about the interactions we're having in this virtual environment and then interpreting them in the physical space and questioning, how would we bring this to life better rather than just saying, oh, you're collaborating. So you'll have a soft chair over there and a round table because that's what collaboration in the office used to look like. Or you need a whiteboard as well, because then you can write some stuff. I think thinking about these interactions and saying, what's missing? That's really interesting because I'm doing a piece of work with another client right now looking at learning programs, Mm -hmm. which have been traditionally face-to-face and taking it the other way, which is how do you virtualize and digitize those? And how do you take those those very physical interactions uh, in a learning environment and move them into a digital space? But I think you're right. How do we take these digital interactions and move them back? But I think you touched on a really good point, which is – the bits that are missing now. If you look at, if you think about how your office worked before and the types of interactions that were going on when there was no technology in the way when we weren't socially distanced and you look at where you are now, what are the things that are missing? You talked earlier, Chris, about bumping into colleagues you've not seen for ages. You, know, you have that natural pollination where you just connect connect with people. You know, so, you know, and I think one of the things you've got to think about in this digital world where you're in lockdown is, how do you connect into the people that you know you haven't seen for a while? And how do you make sure that you do that without having to formally book a meeting 
to meet with them? You know, how do you get into that kind of social engagement with people? Yeah. Um, one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is while we are all you know, doing a great job working from home and businesses are shrinking their real estate and you know repurposing their offices, I'm a little bit worried that that we we've done a good job responding and acting in a crisis, but I don't know if we've actually learned something as managers. And when we start to go back into the office, I don't think 100%, you know, all the surveys are saying that people want to mix. They want to do yep. some time from the office. They want to do some time from outside the office. So I don't think you're going to have 100% of people in 100% of the time. And then you're going to start to have some people that like to go back to the office and you're going to have some people that want to work in another location. And what I've talked to some um, business leaders about, their teams are feeling a lot of FOMO. If they can't see the leaders having a conversation, mm -hmm. if they don't know what's going on, they want to be there. Or mm -hmm. maybe some of those business leaders who were previously reticent and then, you know, um, newly converted once, once we all had to do it, do they, you know, reverse back to type and want that when it's safe and comfortable, want their teams all back around them all the time? And do they bring bad managerial behaviors that then take that the negative culture side and create a forced presenteeism or requirement to be there? And I think that's when the real estate reduction that's been ongoing will really, you know, face into some challenges. I think this is a few mm -hmm. years away for sure. But I don't know what your observation is about how seriously people are training their leaders to manage remote workforces. It's a good question, Carissa, because I think in every conversation I have, it is a topic that is discussed and one that is discussed as in we need to do something, but we're not quite sure what yet. We recognize we have to do it. And I think there's a, there's a couple of places that people are focusing initially, and, and this is to do, I think, with managing what has been a crisis environment, and that is around sort of mindfulness, well-being, yeah. you know, making sure as a line manager that you're cognizant of people's personal circumstance, the positions they might be in, you know, as you say, that humanization element, but also really, you know, really understanding and trying to emotionally connect around why, why people might be in a different position. And I think that, that's helped by the fact we're all been impacted, right? So everybody gets a sense that their own circumstances are different to everybody else's. So I think that's, that's the starting point I've seen. But I think to your point, some businesses have been better prepared for their line managers to have ongoing conversations. I know Chris uses an example quite often on other podcasts of a colleague of his that didn't speak to his line manager through the whole of lockdown, you know, as, a, as an example of, you know, poor management practice. You know, and I think that's, we're seeing that real mix. And I think that you're right. There's a big, there's a big need to address that uh, going forward. Yeah. And I think unless we can do that, the benefits we've gained where we're all in the same position and willing to accept one another working this way, I think that they get eroded very quickly in, in the new world. And I think, you know, those things around teaching people to do it, but, you know, performance management and making sure that you're almost rewarding people for managing teams in a, in a more distanced way to encourage that take up of, of choice and autonomy so that people can feel like they really can make that choice. Yeah. Um, that's been, that's been kind of weighing on my mind. <laughs> well, I, I, and and my, I was watching um, Up in the Air the other day, mm -hmm. you know, you've seen the George Clooney film with Up in the yeah. Air where you know, he yeah. spends his whole life flying around firing people, which is not yeah. a great, great piece, but, you know, and they try to replace him with a, computerized version where it's completely virtual and unfortunately lockdown has has meant that 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 kind of difficult conversation environment has become a virtual discussion 
And and I think that makes that really hard, right? In terms mm. of being able to connect with people, see their body language, as we were talking about before, being able to respond and, and, and trying to have an emotional connection when you're having a difficult conversation, whether you know, the extreme is, is, is redundancy programs, whether the more norm is around performance, right? And daily performance and how people are doing. That's a hard environment to do virtually. And there are elements of that that are, you know, are definitely better set, suited to face-to-face where you can connect better with someone yeah. uh, and they can see your emotional response in the same way you can see theirs. Um, so I, I, it'll be interesting to see how this hybrid yeah. element of all of these things really does come together. If I may just take off a slight tangent for a second before we close out on the podcast, one of the things that I, I keep hearing is this sense almost of untethering from location and the benefit that people see that brings around talent. So one of the big topics pre-COVID, in particular around transforming businesses or businesses that are going through digitization, was just this whole concept of fear about gaining talent. There's a real talent shortage in specific skills, digital skills. Yep. And if you were if you were based in a in a London office where you were kind of okay, if you were based in one of the big northern hubs, you were probably okay. But if you were if you were in a smaller city outside of, of, of London, you really struggled to find some of that talent. This move to hybrid working now, I think, opens that door. Yeah. And, and certainly I see people going, well, actually, that means I can hire anyone from anywhere in the world. As long as the time zone works, we now know we can do this work remotely. This opens up my door to a talent, a talent pool that I never had before, where I felt that I needed to bring them in. Have you, have you heard any sort of conversations around that? <laughs> Gosh, well, so a lot of my work prior to this was about where do we where do we locate ourselves to be best place for the talent. And so doing that analysis, particularly around digital skills. And, you know, you saw a lot of businesses setting up digital hubs in London, um, just so they could have, you know, a central London address. And even some of my clients on the M25 perimeter were struggling to get the right type of talent um, to travel out despite being a major global brand. So I do I do see this opportunity to tap into talent in a, in a really open and excited way. And a lot of my clients are talking about that. I think that you might understand from my accent that I wasn't I wasn't born in the UK and I wasn't I wasn't raised speaking British English. <laughs> so having having two nationalities, I know I know what the issues are as an individual with them, two tax jurisdictions. And I think that I know it's very boring to talk about, but actually one of the overlooked pieces of this global workforce is what are the what are the employment requirements of, of people in different jurisdictions? So if I did a certain number of days of work in the United States, all of a sudden, you know, I, I would owe tax directly to the U.S. government. And so I think that there's a lot more kind of technical complexity to yeah. this global workforce, depending on how they're contracted, there might be some I don't know, some way to make that work. But then I think we also have to challenge back to that culture point and what are the values of the organization and what do you want employees to feel when, when they are part of your organization? So you might be able to have a much more nomadic workforce or tap into skills, even, even in different jurisdictions, time zones that, you know, do work on the off hours. All of that sounds really exciting and, and maybe potential, but I think that there is quite a lot of technical complexity behind that, um, which will challenge the, the feasibility of it. Cool. We are 
just at the end of our little journey and Cooper doesn't want to say hello anymore. So I don't know whether or not it's because you put him in a box or not, (laughs) but um, this is the humanization of podcasters, shall we call it. Carissa, thank you very, very much for taking some time with us today. It's been fascinating as always. And we're still not out of this current sort of COVID lockdown land. So we'll probably get you back in in the new year and say, were we wrong? Has everything changed again? (laughs) Uh, Because it's been really, really good to talk to you. You can access this podcast if you are listening to it via SoundCloud. You can also access it via iTunes. You can access it via Spotify. We're on TuneIn as well. Just tell your Alexa device to find HR on the offensive and we'll be right there for you. You can access back uh, catalogs as well via the Lace Partner web- Partners website, which is at lacepartners.co.uk forward slash pod- podcast, of course. Carissa, once more, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, Carissa. And Aaron, thanks for joining me. Anytime. And we will see you next time on the HR on the Offensive podcast. Bye-bye. <laughs>